Uh, well, today is uh, day five of uh, Vacation Bible School, and uh, over the last uh, five weeks, uh, so, well, today would be five weeks, our sermon series has actually went right in line with uh, Vacation Bible School. We've taken the, the five daily themes of VBS, and I have preached it in here, and then at night, our workers take that and uh, share the same similar theme uh, with the kids that are here, and uh, it's been something different for me. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope it's been an encouraging uh, series because in it we've looked at, at many of the things that Jesus does for us as his followers, as his children, as his disciples. There is so much that he does for us, and uh, today we're going we're gonna to finish with one that I think is very needed uh, in our culture but it's also very needed within our churches. In a few weeks, uh, we are going to be going to uh, Falls Creek, and uh, Andy Harrison uh, put out an announcement, uh, oh, it was last year sometime, for any pastor or youth pastor that's going to be there, um, if they would be interested in leading a breakout session, uh, which is basically a small uh, uh, Bible study on a topic or something during free time. They've started doing breakout sessions at Falls Creek for kids uh, that don't like to do volleyball or the sports stuff, uh, which is a great idea. And I told him that I'd be willing to do one. And he messaged me back last fall and asked me if I would teach a breakout session on suicide prevention. Suicide prevention. So in two weeks, when we go to Falls Creek, on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to be teaching to anybody that would like to come uh, that they're going to be at their Falls Creek uh, a study on suicide prevention. And you know, you, you, for years, that wasn't something that you would often correlate to youth camp. It wasn't something that you would think about uh, for youth camp or in Christian circles. But the reality is, as I've been kind of looking through um, the statistics and the stuff the, uh, that Andy sent me to, to go over and the stuff that I've been putting together for my own, uh, for my own benefit to teach that uh, lesson, is not only is suicide a problem in our culture, it's a problem in our churches. As a matter of fact, there, as I, I, was, I was looking through all the statistics, I became burdened for two things when it relates to our church or relates to the church specifically. And here, here are the two things that burdens my heart. Uh, the first one is suicide rates are comparable for both churchgoers and non-churchgoers. That in America, the suicide rates for churchgoers and non-churchgoers are virtually identical. They're the same. And the second is that the primary cause of suicide in our culture is untreated depression. And, and what I mean by that is it's one who loses all joy of life and all hope. Uh, they become filled with despair and eventually see no reason to go on or no way out, and that eventually leads them to take their own life. In 2000. And 10, um, one of my students that was in my youth group at Lone Grove took his own life. He had been out of high school for two years. It was 4th of July. I'll never forget. We were eating with my parents and my family at Western Sizzlin in Seminole. And I got a phone call telling me that one of my students who had graduated two years earlier had taken his own life. And the thing with that was he got to a point where he couldn't see a way out. He saw no reason to go on. He had no hope and no joy in his life, and it led him to take his own life. And, and, and the sad reality is that's happening a lot in our culture. 
And when I hear that it's happening as much in the church as it is in the world, that really burdens my heart. And the reason why it burdens my heart is because truly, not, not all, but by and large, the majority of people who take their own life do so because their life is, they have no hope or no joy anymore. And, and I think about that because I think, is that really what Jesus wanted for his followers? Did he want us to get to a point in our lives, no matter what's going on around us, did he ever want us to get to a point in our lives where we didn't have hope or we didn't have joy? I would say the answer is absolutely no. I mean, matter of fact, I mean, when, when Jesus said, in, in this world you will have trouble, he told us that. When Jesus said, in this world, would you have trouble, did, did he really mean and did he really envision his people having so much trouble that they lost their joy or that they lost their hope? I would say absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the remaining part of that sentence is, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, the, actually the exact opposite is true. Jesus didn't envision us losing our joy. He envisioned us having a joy that superseded our, our circumstance, superseded the things that were going on in our life. It superseded our problems. And, and, and that's our theme for today. It, the last theme for VBS this year is Jesus gives me joy. Jesus gives me joy. And I want you to know, I, I, I talked about suicide this morning because it is an epidemic and, and it is something that we need to talk about. And I do believe a big chunk of that comes from losing our joy as believers in Christ. But it's not just about our suicide rates. I'm here to tell you sometimes you step into churches and there is no joy in their church. There's no smiling. There's no happiness. And as a matter of fact, to go around smiling and to show some happiness is frowned upon because this is a reverent place. But in the midst of being reverent for God, have we lost our joy and really what it means to be joyful and really the joy that Jesus came to give us, I believe in a lot of ways we have. And so I really want to focus on this this morning and look at some things about the joy that Jesus died and rose again in order for us to have. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to open to the same passage we were in last week in John chapter 15. And I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word in John chapter 15. We're going to look at this text because last week when we were looking at this, we saw how um, that, that uh, we were to love and G how Jesus loves us. And that is absolutely true. This text talks about that very clearly, that Jesus loves us. But this text also talks about joy in Jesus. Listen to the word of God in, in John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. This is what Jesus said. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love or remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, listen to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it for a few moments this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase, and that, Father, the words would be shared would not be mine but yours, and, Father, you would use this message to restore our joy, that, Father, we would find ourselves 
In, in the same situation David was in in Psalm 51 when he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I pray today, Lord, if there's any here that have no joy, that today it would be restored. And that, Father, if there's anyone here that has never experienced the ultimate joy of being your child that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray today they would experience that kind of joy. Father, whatever it is you want to teach us this morning, whatever it is you want us to learn and understand, I pray that you would reveal that to us and that we would respond as our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this, chat, in this text, specifically in verse 11, Jesus said, I speak these things to you that my joy shall, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And in that one verse, there are three legitimate, very specific, and very needed understandings of joy that we have in Jesus that we need to understand this morning. The first one is we need to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about joy. And the way I've worded this in your notes or on the screen is that we need to understand the difference between biblical joy and worldly joy. And there is a difference in those two. There is a difference between biblical joy and worldly joy. You see, in our culture, we tend to relate joy with happiness. We're joyful when we're happy. As a matter of fact, when, when, you, when you look at this, our Western culture has defined the word joy as this, a feeling of great, of great pleasure and happiness. That is the definition of joy, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. However, I believe that is that definition has also been adjusted into or brought into the definition of biblical joy. And in doing so, we have many Christians struggling to grasp the biblical view of joy because the way our culture defines it and the way the, the Bible defines it don't agree and they don't go together. I mean, no one would ever contend and, and consider themselves joyful when they're in bad circumstances. I mean, we wouldn't. If you lose a loved one and someone says, how are you doing? I do not believe any of us are going to say, I'm joyful. I mean, I don't. When you lose your job, how are you doing? Oh, I'm joyful. Unless it was a blessed departure and you were wanting to lose your job, then you might be. Or when your health is bad, how are you doing? I'm joyful. Now, we wouldn't do that, that because that's the way our culture, we use that word and we interrelate it with the idea of a feeling of pleasure and happiness. And therefore, we are only joyful when one feels happy or when circumstances allow for us to be joyful. It, when things are going right and circumstances are right, then we have a feeling of pleasure or we have a feeling of happiness and therefore we're joyful. However, the Greek word for joy and the biblical concept for joy has nothing to do with our circumstances or with our feelings. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for joy is defined in this way. It is, um, let, me, let me read it to you literally. It says, to rejoice, to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly. Now that part Sounds a whole lot like our word for happiness, right? To, to rejoice, to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly. But the Greek word for joy isn't about our feelings or circumstances. As a matter of fact, it, it involves the will, and it comes from inner peace, inner comfort, and an inner stability. 
So when you hear the word joy in the text, and it's not just here, by the way, the idea of being joyful um, is throughout all of the scriptures. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We, we see that. And so there's all kinds of Bible verses on the word joy, but joy in a biblical sense is related to our happiness. Joy in a biblical sense is the, a feeling of great pleasure or great excitement or great rejoicing based on an inner peace or an inner comfort, or an inner stability. That means that our, our worldly, our biblical joy has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with our situations, has nothing to do with our wealth, has nothing to do with our health, has nothing to do with anything on the outside. What biblical joy comes from is on the inside. And so what, that's the reason why a lot of people, I believe, have lost their joy, because the world is the source of their joy, everything on the outside, and when our circumstance changes or when our situations change, our joy goes away. But the word for joy that Jesus says that he wanted to give us, the joy that my joy will remain in you and that your joy will be full is an inner joy that is not dictated by outer circumstances. That is what biblical joy is. It's an inner gladness and an inner rejoicing due to the peace and the comfort and the stability that's on the inside. All right. So if that's biblical joy is on the, based off what's on the inside and worldly joy obviously is based on everything that's on the outside, where does one get inner joy? Where does someone get the inner peace or the inner comfort or the inner stability that causes us to be able to rejoice in spite of our circumstances, no matter what's going on around us? Where does one get that? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's right there in our text. Look at it again. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, inside, in you, and that your joy may be full. My joy will remain in you, thus causing your joy to be full. The joy that we have on the inside comes from Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the source of our joy. Now, he is the source of our inner peace, of our comfort, of the stability that we have on the inside. It all comes from him. He is the source of our joy. Joy that is not dependent on external situations or on external circumstances. Jesus is the source of joy that supersedes all of those. And that's what the Bible describes us as when he talks about how we're to be joyful is on the inside, and we get that through him. And let me tell you something. If you don't have Jesus, you can't have joy. You can't, not inner joy. Now, you may have some joy that comes from worldly, worldly things. You may have a lot of money. You may have good health. You may have a good job. You may have a good house. You may have good kids. You may have good about everything else. That provides you some joy on the outside, but on the inside, there's no way for you to have an inner peace or inner stability or inner comfort when those things go away, and thus your joy disappears. You'd only get that joy through Jesus. That's what he says. Now, how is Jesus the source of true joy? Well, let me give you a few reasons why Jesus is the source of true joy. Number one, Jesus is the source of true joy through his birth. Through his birth. 
If you'll remember in Luke chapter 2, when the angel appeared unto the shepherd to tell them about the birth of the Messiah, which is Jesus, if you'll remember his words in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, uh, says the shepherds were afraid and fell down. And the angel said to them, fear not, be not afraid, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You see, the birth of Jesus is the beginning of the opportunity for inner peace, inner comfort, inner stability. You see, before Jesus came, all we had was the law and, and, a for, and, and the, the, uh, the, the necessity to be in perfect obedience to the law, which you and I could never do. There was no way for us to do that. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible describes the, the time before Jesus as people walking in darkness. That's what people did before Jesus. But if you'll remember, the end of that was when Jesus came, the darkness saw the light. That's what the book of James tells us. That, I mean, sorry, the book of 1 John tells us that people were walking in darkness but saw a great light. You see, Jesus is the light. He's the one that came, and through his birth, through his birth, we have the opportunity for inner joy. Jesus is the source of joy through his birth, but he's also the source of joy through his ministry. You look at Jesus' ministry after he started ministry at, at, at about 30 years old, and he had ministry for three, three and a half years on this earth, physical ministry. When you look at his ministry, he brought joy to people in his ministry. I mean, think about the things that he did. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the sick. He lifted the downtrodden. He lifted the hurt. He, he loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. Think about the things that Jesus did when he encountered the condition or the, 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 the results of the lost condition of people. He met people with love and grace and mercy. Doesn't mean he didn't call out their sin for what it was. He did that. He didn't tell them to just go on and continue to sin. As a matter of fact, the woman that was caught in adultery made it very clear. Go and sin no more. He tells her, hey, what you were doing was right, but he still didn't condemn her. Matter of fact, he looked up and says, where's all, your, where's all the people that were accusing you? Well, they, they left. He said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus brought joy to people in his ministry. And here's the truth. He does the same today. You see, Jesus brings joy to people every day. You see, he heals the spiritually blind, the spiritually lame, the spiritually sick every day through his word, through his Holy Spirit. He lifts the downtrodden. He lifts the hurt. Jesus loves his followers, loves his disciples. He does not beat down his disciples. He comes and he encourages his disciples. As a matter of fact, we ought to be so thankful that for the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that he had to leave in order to send the comforter to us, the comforter. The Holy Spirit, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is not just to bring conviction in our life, which he does, which we need, but it's to bring comfort to our hearts and our lives and our hurt and, and our, when we're downtrodden. He does that today. He, he still loves the unlovable, and he still forgives the unforgivable today. Jesus brings joy through his birth. He brings joy through his ministry, a ministry that is still ongoing to this moment. Men and women still experience the joy of Jesus' ministry. Every day I was watching a, a video this morning of a preacher friend of mine who's in Malawi as we speak, getting ready to come home. And it was, he posted just this morning, well, actually, I guess it was in the middle of the night when he posted it, but it was the last worship service in Malawi. And uh, let me tell you, those people were having a good time in Jesus. Because they had experienced a tremendous, 
tremendous fruit of their labor. They had saw people saved. They had saw lives transformed. They saw the ministry of Jesus, and it brings joy to them. Jesus also is the source of joy through his death. Jesus' death brings joy to us. Here's the truth. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 2. He said, Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, may live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You see, the truth is that sin deserves punishment. Sin deserves death. And the Bible's very clear that you and I have all sinned. And therefore, because of our sin, we deserve punishment. We deserve death. But on the cross, Jesus took our sin and and understanding that he gives us now joy. See, Jesus provides us joy through his death because only through his death on the cross that we have been healed. You see, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, then we would still be stuck in our sin. We would still be suffering the, the benefits of our sin or the ramifications of our sin, which is death and hurting and turmoil and pain and suffering. But Jesus took that on the cross and gives us joy through it. There's also joy in Jesus in his resurrection, not just on his death by taking our place, taking our punishment, taking our shame, that that gives us joy or it ought to. Matter of fact, if you don't get joyful about knowing what Jesus did on the cross, then your Christianity's got a hole in it somewhere. I'm just telling you. Otherwise, you'd still be stuck paying the price yourself, and that's a price I guarantee you that's too high. None of you want to pay. Neither do I. But Jesus paid it. And there's also joy in his resurrection. See, Jesus didn't just die for our sins. The Bible says that after three days, he rose again. And when he rose from the grave, his, his death paid our penalty, but his resurrection is what enables us to conquer death and the grave. You see, the death in the grave had a hold on us, and Jesus died to pay our sin debt, but in his resurrection, he conquered death and the grave and gives us the promise of conquering death in the grave as well. That means that when we die, we will not die, thank God. It means that when when you become a believer in Christ, that's why Jesus would say like this, when someone trusts him and believes in him and becomes a follower of him, they have already passed from death to life. They will no longer die. Their body will die, but they will not die. That's why Paul would say it like this to the church in 1 Corinthians. He says, so when the corruptible, our old body, by the way, puts on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought past the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are promised victory because of his death and his resurrection. And then the last way Jesus brings us joy is in his, in anticipating his return. See, Jesus didn't leave us here to have to deal with all this by ourselves. He he gave his disciples a promise. In John chapter 14, he says, he says it like this, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, he didn't leave us here, and he didn't abandon us. There's a promise that Jesus is going to come back. 
Matter of fact, I, I don't know a lot. I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand times more probably, but I'm just here to tell you. No one knows the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back, but I do know that today's one day closer than yesterday. That's what I do know. One day soon, Jesus is coming back, and that gives us, I, I, that gives us hope. That gives us joy because it, it tells us that no matter what this world brings us, no matter what we go through, Jesus is coming back again. And so Jesus is the source of joy from his birth, through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, and through anticipating his return. Jesus is the source of that inner peace, that inner comfort, that inner stability. Do you see how that stability comes from Jesus and Jesus alone? Because we lean on Jesus, not on ourselves. That's why when someone gets saved, you don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in a prayer. You don't trust in baptism. You trust simply in the finished work of Jesus. Your salvation is not about what you did. It's about what Jesus did. And that gives us stability and comfort and peace. And that is joy. That is joy that doesn't need any outside Needs. It, it, it is not created by what happens on the outside. One of the greatest examples of those, there's a two, I'll give you the, probably the greatest example of that is Jesus in this text, in John 15. Jesus is actually really close to facing the darkness of the Garden in Gethsemane. He's very close to facing the, his arrest. He's very close to facing his betrayal by one of his own. He's very close to facing um, his trial. He's very close to being um, punished. He's very close to his torment. He's very close to being beaten. He's very close to having a crown of thorns pressed down on his brow. He's very close to having a purple robe put on his back after he'd been beaten just to be ripped back off. He's very close to being spat on and ridiculed and mocked by those who he came to die for. He's very close to being dragged and dragging his own cross at least half the way and then being replaced with someone else because he couldn't carry it anymore and going to a place on a place called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. He's very close to being laid on a cross and having nails driven through his hands and his feet. He's very close to being crucified and hung for the whole world to see. He's very close to taking his last physical breath on this earth. Yet he says, I tell you these things that my joy may remain in you and your joy shall be full. I like the way the writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews 12. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't know about you, but if I knew I was facing all that Jesus was facing, I would think that my worldly circumstance would dictate not being happy. I, if I knew I was going to face what he's facing, I wouldn't be very happy. But yet Jesus had joy. Why? Because joy, biblical joy that he gives us is not created or hindered by outward circumstances, it's on the inside, and our joy comes from him. And so if you're trying to find joy in anything else, it will always leave you 
wanting. And that leads me to the last two things. I want to give you two benefits of joy, and we'll be done. Jesus lists two benefits in our text that sometimes we read right over when we read this text. I know I have for a long time, but they really stuck out to me this week when I was reading that. But there are two benefits that he talks about this joy. The first one is it's a continuous joy. Look at what he says, that my joy will remain in you. That word remain, circle that word, it's important. Remain in you. Now that word remain literally means to continue, to abide, to endure, to last continually with no end. That's what it means. So when Jesus says that my joy will remain in you, he's telling us that he's giving us a joy that will continue, that will have no end, and it will continue on with no stop. There's no end in sight. When Jesus gives us the joy that we need, it's a joy that's continuous. It's not going to come and go. And I want you to know, church, that's what we need because we face circumstances. We face troubles. We face problems. I guarantee you, we have people in our church that are suffering from illnesses. We have people in our church that are suffering from hurts from family issues. We have people in our church that are suffering from all kinds of different things, but Jesus gives us a continuous joy that goes well beyond any of that. My joy will remain in you. It will continue in you. Unlike the joy of the world, Jesus's joy is continuous. You know, we lose our joy because when our joy is determined by our circumstances and our situations, We lose our joy. But true joy remains constant because our joy is found in Jesus, and Jesus is constant. And the second benefit is it's complete. It's complete joy. Don't miss this. Look at what he said. He says that my joy will remain in you and that your joy may be full. Circle that word full if you take notes. I love that word full in the Greek because here's what it means. It means to feel liberally to the brim. It means all the way full, not lacking in any way. So when Jesus says that my joy will remain in you and your joy will be full, he's telling us that he is giving us a joy that is filled over. It's filled to the brim. It is completely full. It is a joy that doesn't leave us wanting. You see, we, we, when we put our joy in the world, we always are left wanting. But when we, put our, when we have joy that comes through Jesus, it's a joy that doesn't leave us wanting. It is completely full. Now, I want you to note something about that. If we have biblical joy that comes from Jesus and it is complete joy that doesn't leave us empty or in needing of anything else, listen, here's the thing then our joy doesn't need circumstances or situations or worldly items, deeds, or possessions to make us happy. If our joy is full and it's complete, then I don't need anything else to make me happy. I don't need everything the world has to offer to make me happy. Now, here's the other truth to that. If my joy is complete because of Jesus and not because of circumstances and situations, then there's no circumstance or situation or worldly issue that can rob my joy either. The joy that comes from Jesus doesn't need anything else to make it full. And if it's truly given by Jesus, nothing else can take it from you. 
That's what he's saying. We're going to do a series here just in a few weeks on the Beatitudes. And I love the Beatitudes because Jesus Jesus says, blessed are those, and then he gives us some statements that a lot of times you go, I don't really comprehend that. Like, blessed are those who mourn. But that word blessed, by the way, means happy. means happy. Happiness that comes from this kind of joy. You and I need joy, and we need to understand joy to the point that the things that come our way doesn't rob our joy, or we don't need it to fill us with joy in our lives.